Welcome back to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex, and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho. Sue is a horse person. So um, you just brought a saddle over to the couch and it was sitting on the table where we're about to sit. Yes. So it's a large chunk of very expensive hand-sewn leather from England. Yes, it's very well swaddled, I see. Yes. Precious. As you can imagine, being a horse person doesn't come cheaply. You can get a cheap one made in India of not so good Indian leather for about $400 and it goes up from there. Yeah. Custom made, you know, eight, ten grand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the saddle wasn't new, but the $180 bit she'd recently bought was. A bit being the piece of metal that fits inside a horse's mouth, the ends of which are attached to the harness. Sue also has a mini metal key ring of a bit that blends in with her keys. I never would have guessed what it was if she hadn't told me. To me, it looks a bit like a leg bone. If you look at the Hermes brand, fashion brand, mm -hmm. they do a lot of horse stuff. Gucci or someone like that also has the, the snaffle bit in their logo. Oh, and does okay. a lot of horse stuff. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds very familiar actually. The horse people know what it is, other people think it's just a decoration. In the same way that Sue's key ring is an innocuous little hint at her obsession, the horse paraphernalia around her living room doesn't jump out at you. It's only when you start looking for it that you begin to see it everywhere. So you'd have not just your saddle on the couch, but you've also got other horse-related items on there too. I have a woven throw with multiple horse breeds on it. I have a cushion with a lovely Lusitano being ridden by a lady on it. I have a numbered print by Juan Lamas Perdigo from Spain that I won at a horse show mm. for Spanish horses. And my fat cat. On the wall next to the hallway leading out to the kitchen are a series of photos vertically arranged in a photo frame. Ah. Senior champion stallion. He was beaten by a fully imported youngster for Supreme. So who is that on the horse? That's me up the top. Okay. And how long ago was that? Oh, probably seven years ago. Okay. And these are my daughter on him at assorted shows. Mm. More champion ribbons. Yeah. I tested out my newly researched horse vocabulary. So was that dressage? Um, this was a breed show. Okay. Uh, this was an exhibition at a breed show. You had to go in and show your horse off. You had five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so you showed him doing his extended paces and there's a jumping one somewhere. And hmm. Doing his Spanish walk. Okay. They lift their legs up. It can be difficult to spot a horse person out in everyday life. But one tell is the way they walk. Sue told me about this the first time we met. 
She said that ballet dancers walk with their feet pointed outwards, while horse riders are pigeon-toed, so their feet point inwards. Okay. When I mention it to her now, she gets up from her chair and demonstrates, lowering herself into a sort of squat. From the waist up, she has excellent posture. And I try not to roll my shoulders forward. <laughs> so would you be able to explain to me again um, about the pigeon toe business? You spend a lot of time in a position like that trying to get your toes to point forward. Right, so then you've got like your legs apart about like, what, almost a metre? No, about, about that far. Yeah. It depends on the size of the horse you're riding. Yeah. If you're riding a pony, you're like that. If you're riding something with a big round barrel, you can be like that. Mm-hmm. But it stretches, that position stretches all the muscles. Along across your back? Across your buttock. Across your buttock, okay. So to maintain that position, you have to have well-stretched piriformis, um, external rotators. Demonstration over, we settled in at the dining table. There, we began to go into Sue's backstory, where her obsession with horses all began. She's 64 years old now, and for as long as she can remember, she's always loved horses. I drew horses as a kid. I think it's the first thing I drew. I never grew up with horses. Um, I was the kid who had friends with horses at school and was always going, can I ride your horse? Can I come up and stay at your place and we'll go riding on the horses? Even though I grew up on a farm, it was past the stage of horses being the primary work for horse. It was utes or motorbikes or mm. what have you. So it took me a while to get there, but I got there. When did you actually see your first horse in person? I think I was, we were in Western Australia, so I was less than four. And I remember there was a horse somewhere on the property and I was told not to go near it because it was a bit lively. Mm. And I remember seeing it through the gate. I used to, was the kid, the kid in the car who was kept quiet because she was looking out the window because she was counting horses. <laughs> and you had to try and spot them in the paddocks. There's mm-hmm. a lot more horses around now than there was then. Mm. And when did you first ride a horse? At the local show. How old were you? Uh, primary school. Mm. Any horse nearby and I'd be off to visit. <laughs> But, you know, that was my first experience was riding there. Do you remember anything about that experience? Do you remember how you felt doing it? I felt wonderful. Here I was sitting on a horse with my skirt hiked up so he could get my legs apart <laughs> and my sandals in the stirrup and I thought I was the bee's knees. Mm-hmm. It was just... And that was my, my dose of horse. I'd save up all my pocket money from during the year so that I could afford to go and have pony rides mm. at the show. Because <laughs> there were a few horses around, but they were more the exception than anything else. Because mm. people had got out of horses, people were into cars, people were into this, and um, pony club and that was around, but it was much more low-key. You know, you grew up in a horsey family and you had horses and what have you. Like, like my grand, granddaughter, she, she's never known what it's like to not have horses around. But my daughter and I, my daughter started riding lessons at six. 
she was much upset that she couldn't start them earlier <laughs> and became junior staff at the riding school for 11 so free labor for well free labor for a one hour ride on a horse <laughs> and then she became junior staff and they started paying her and then I managed to find a horse for lease off a friend and she's had horses ever since. Sue bought her first horse at 36. She pointed to a photo of her on the bookshelf. Yes, that's her in the photo up there. Triz. Remini Cantor Triz. Okay. And when she arrived, she was called Candy, and I couldn't live with a horse called Candy because every second horse was called Candy at that stage. Mm. And she was far too pretty and elegant to be a Candy. That was a ratty little pony's name. Mm, it rather cheapens the horse, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. But she acted like a Triz? Oh, she could be a prima donna. She could spook at the massive dragon hiding under a blade of grass. But I also rode her down Townsend Street in Phillip with one of those big red mowers going down the road and the only thing she worried about were the flags in front of the real estate shop. <laughs> Didn't worry about the rest. Mm-hmm. So... We did lots of miles around Canberra. We went out for a six-hour ride with friends. It was only going to be a quick ride to Equestrian Park and back. By the time we went from the Mount Taylor Horse Paddocks to Equestrian Park, I went, this is fun. So we went out through the Pine Forest and then came back along Coolman Ridge mm-hmm. and then the edge of the parkway and got back in time to pick the kids up from school. <laughs> but not on horseback. <laughs> no, I did drop my son off to school once on horseback. Mm. I'm sure his friends were very impressed. Yeah. And sometimes I'd go down and work on the edge of the Oval, so I'd ride past Torrance Primary School and this horde of kids would arrive. Oh, can I pat your pony? Can I pat the horse? Mm. So she was happy to stand there and have pats. <laughs> very so, obliging. Yeah. Very laid back in some respects and a bit, bit toey in others. Mm. So taught me a lot. She was my first horse and... It's like going from training to the real thing. Uh, it's just a totally different ball game. You can teach them all sorts of bad habits and then you have to figure out how to unteach them. Mm-hmm. So, steep learning curve when you get your first horse. Mm. Even though I'd been in riding schools 18 years and used to arrive and saddle my own horse and brush them and do all that. But somebody else will get on and they'll do something differently so the horses never get so they they're not allowed to get away with the same thing all the time Mm -hmm. and then if something goes wrong the owner climbs on and does a bit of work with them and all goes back to normal Mm. so but when you've got your own horse if you do something wrong every time the horse goes oh yeah well she's going to do this so I have to do that or if I do this she'll let me get away with that Mm -hmm. and you can dig yourself a very deep hole. It takes a while to climb back out of. But you learn. Mm-hmm. You file that away for future reference. And you apply it to the next horse and make sure they don't get that problem. <laughs> kind of like with children in some ways, huh? Yeah. It, <laughs> kids, dogs, horses all need boundaries. They all need kindness and love and an occasional no, don't do that. Mm. 
and you need a well-mannered horse because even a pony is 300 kilos and if it decides to go stand on you I've got a, one of my toes is bent from being stood on so many times Yikes. so you were 36 when you got Triz yeah and you mentioned um, that you had two young children at the time so could you paint me a picture of what your life looked like then? Um, well, I wasn't working then. I was working part-time, yeah, at a second-hand bookshop. So I figured I could have, I'd saved up my money mm. <laughs> and I bought my beautiful, beautiful horse. I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> yes. And I think James was four and Heather was eight and she was so jealous because she wanted a horse and she got very upset when I went for a ride on the weekend and she, they had to stay home with dad because she wanted to go for a ride as well mm. so I'd ride while the kids were at school I used to do sewing at home you know taking up hems or making simple garments worked at the bookshop did stuff with the kids occasionally went to a show but that was usually beg a friend can I use your float can you give me a li- can you take me to the show and sometimes the, the group of us who were at the paddocks, if there was a Jim Carner on locally, we'd all chip in and buy hire the horse truck. Mm. And the horse truck would arrive and put on all the gleaming, freshly washed horses. And there'd be six or eight of us, and we'd all go off and have our day's fun at the, the Jim Carner. And yeah. Even if you didn't win anything, it was a day out and you were riding your horse and you were with lots of other people who were doing exactly the same thing for exactly the same reasons. Mm. And it was just a fun day out as long as your horse behaved themselves. Sometimes you lay down the law and sometimes you, as the gentleman who did that picture, who's also an assessor for the Spanish horses in Spain, said, um, you suggest, entreat and cajole. Mm. So come on, you can do that. It's really not that bad. We can walk past that puddle. It's not doesn't have a shark in it and it's not bottomless. <laughs> So, yeah, different horses come with their own. They're like people. Everyone has their own different character. Mm. Um, My boy up there came with his own set of problems because he was still a stallion and he sees girls over there and, oh, that one's pretty. Can I? No, you're not allowed. You can go, oh, that one looks good. But you're not allowed to yell at her and say, hi, gorgeous. You want to come over here and have a chat? (laughs) every horse brings their own set of problems some of them are warriors current one is a warrior most of the time he's like his father pretty laid back but occasionally he channels his mother and he's a warrior Mm. so you get to learn when you can push it when you can't which days you can try something new and which days you go back to what's old hat what they know, what's calming, reassuring. Mm. When you're being a total twat, uh, let's just make the word harder and see if we can find the brain. And sometimes that works and sometimes the brain has just left the building and is not to be seen for the rest of the day. Mm. So you do something that you know who they, you know they can do and you stop and you get off, you give them a pat and you go and unsaddle them. Mm. We'll try again next day. We'll try again tomorrow because Mm. if we push it now, we'll go back five steps Mm. and it's just not worth the effort. 
So tell me about your second horse then. My second horse is the son of my first one. Yeah. He was the only one I bred from her. I did try again, but she wouldn't go in foal because she was too old. Mm. But we bred him. And his name is Moz? His show name is Mocoso, which translates from the Spanish as snotty-nosed boy, cheeky boy, or brat, <laughs> all of which describe him because he is, he has the most warped sense of humour and he likes a good laugh. He's a pretty laid-back character. He always has been. Learns quickly, very smart, makes riding him interesting because he goes, oh, yeah, I know what you want. We, and no, we're not doing that this time. <laughs> Can't do anything more than twice. Sue was around 41 when she got Mocoso or Moz for short. He was, as she says, an early Christmas present, and she showed up at the birth when he was about 20 minutes old. Phone call going, hey, you've got an extra horse. He's on the way. So how big was he when he was... So how, how tall would you say that is? So Metre... Hand above the ground? Metre... Metre ten. Okay. To the base of the neck. Mm. Because they're prey animals, they have to be able to run flat chat within a couple of hours of being born. Mm. So they're three quarters, three quarters of their height is their legs. Mm. And the legs don't grow much more in their um, adult years. Mm. The legs can o are probably only 10, maybe 15 centimetres longer than they are at birth. Wow. So... They can, within a couple of hours, they can up, gallop and get away with the mum. Mm. And you'll see them all hooning around the paddock, playing with their mates if there's any mates around. And he didn't have any friends in the paddock, so he tried to play with his mother and play the big bad stallion and drive the mare across to dinner. <laughs> and she got sick of him one day and trotting along briskly and he was behind her nipping her on the bum and she just stopped dead and he ran fair up her backside <laughs> and stopped and shook his head and went Ooh. thereafter when driving his mum to dinner he made sure he had a suitable distance so mm. that if she stopped suddenly he didn't stop too yeah yeah sort of like giving two chevron spaces between yes mother and son yes mm. but he used to drive her crazy Mm. Oh, Mum, come and play with me. Or he'd run up and run around her. and mm. yeah. mm. He was a typical cheeky brat child. Mm. So you mentioned that you were about 41 when Moz came into the world um, and you were still married at that point. Yeah. How did your husband feel about your passion for horses? I don't think he understood it. Most spouses, non-horse owning spouses don't quite understand the addiction, the passion, obsession, many words along that, that line. Um, he had his motorbikes. We'd met through motorbikes, but mine would, had been written off with me on it. Mm. Um, but we still had the bikes and we had two kids and we did things as family and I sort of snuck horses in round the edge and tried not to let them intrude and had a little tiny corner underneath the house where I could keep my horse gear. 
Um, it was, you know, he wasn't pleased, but yeah, oh yes, okay. Mm. It wasn't costing him any money. I was supporting them myself. Um, so mm. he couldn't really, you know, it's not as though I was raiding his bank account to finance my obsession. Mm. And the kids were both riding by that stage and I was paying for that as well. And right. How does it feel then to go from, you know, living in a situation where all your horse things are just in one corner to now, you know, being able to display them anywhere you like? It's great. I had a few, you know, I had some of these ornaments on tables and that in the house and pictures on the wall. And mm. But it's just nice to be able to have some wall space. I had a little tiny corner where I had the cat and the the one on the wall there and some ribbons and the cold cast bronze was on the piano and that was about it. And that was me in that little tiny bit being squashed into a corner. So it's nice to be able to spread myself out. Not that I didn't occasionally spread gear, horse gear out through the lounge room when I was cleaning it or something, but it was all packed up and put away and it all had a space because we had room, which I don't have here. Mm. And so even though you were spending your own money on your horses and your horse things and the riding lessons and so forth for your children, when you bought your first and second horses, did you nevertheless feel a bit tentative about very it's a case of yes we're having spaghetti for dinner and um i've bought a horse what <laughs> so yeah it may have created tension in the marriage but i think having that blow off valve also made it last as long as it did mm. because i could go out i could do what i wanted i could do my thing i was away from kids and house and husband and when you're on a horse you can't let your brain be anywhere else you have to be in the moment because horses live in the moment and they don't care what they're not thinking about what's for dinner they're not thinking about what happened at work or I've got the farrier coming where am I going to get the $50 for the farrier or things like that because they just live now now we are riding now we are eating now dinner is on the table. Oh, mum's in the feed shed. Now we are having dinner. <laughs> so you can't bring your personal baggage on the back of a horse, especially something like Moz, who is a stallion, so you had to make sure people weren't running up your backside or you were staying out of their way so you didn't upset their mare or what have you. So you were always on the lookout. You were concentrating on your riding and what you were doing. Um, with Arrow, my current one, if you your brain goes for a walk, he can find the monster in the grass in the corner and all of a sudden he's spun and you're 20 metres from where you started mm. in a fraction of a second. Mm. So you've got one eye on the scenery, one eye on what you do, you're concentrating on what you're doing and there's no room left over for thinking about bad situations, stressful work, what have you, it's very soothing.
so you were married for about 30 years before yeah. separating yeah. Um, around 10 to 11 years ago. Yeah. And when you did separate, you remained living under the same roof yeah. as your ex-husband for about a year. Yeah. I was studying full-time, working 23, 25 hours a week in aged care, and I couldn't afford to move out, so yeah. I had to live there for 12 months under the same roof. And today it was a bit stressful, as putting it mildly. Mm-hmm. Lots of horse visits were done. Yeah. It was a nice place to go and unwind. Moles let me use him as a teddy bear many times and I soaked his mane with so many tears. Mm. He, I always tell people that he's really a horse wearing a teddy, he's really a teddy bear wearing a horse suit <laughs> and he lived up to his teddy bear reputation. Normally if you give him a hug, they go, oh yeah, hug and walk away. But he'd let me, he'd just stand there and let me hug him and cry and you know, if it was seven or eight o'clock at night and there weren't many people around, you could have a good good cry, get it out of your system. I imagine it would have been extremely awkward in addition to being just stressful in still living with someone who, you know, you were working through a divorce with. Yeah, we were, well, it took five years to get the divorce afterwards because by the time I got out, and it was just a case of I'm wrung out, I'd got extensions at, CIT to get my stuff in. They said, just make sure it's in by the end of the year so we can mark he was completed. Um, so I got extensions on that and because trying to work and fit stuff in and dodge round, <laughs> dodge round each other in the house and he'd be in the lounge room and I'd be sitting in the kitchen, sometimes with a glass or two many wines, but mm-hmm. um, if I wasn't doing homework, or going to bed early because I had to be at work at seven. So or I finished finished my course at three and start work at three thirty. Mm. So I don't want to do that year again. Mm. It was not fun. Mm. I mean, things are amicable now. Um, was yeah. it not so during that year? More like politely civil. Yeah. There was no outbursts, yelling. If I was cooking dinner, I'd cook something for him. And I was still doing all the shopping. Um, I was occasionally doing cleaning. I'm, what I, I've come to con- the conclusion that my style of housekeeping is indifferent. Mm. I like it to be clean, but if there's a mess around, I don't bother. And the older I get, the, more, the less I bother about what other people think about it. If they don't like my housekeeping, they can go to, to dinner somewhere else. Mm. So... I was still doing a lot of stuff at home. Um, He was doing his own washing. I was doing my own washing. And I had the stables I could bolt to. If things got too much, I could go down and do moz in his stable and then go and do my other two in the paddock. And I remember one afternoon or one evening, it was almost, just after sunset, it was almost dark and you could hear the, the horses were eating their dinner and I was just standing there and it was quiet and you could hear horses in the other paddock and you could hear the cocky, there's huge flocks of cockies out the back of Chapman and you could hear them all up in the trees. You know, this is my spot, bugger off, rock, rock, having little arguments and that as they settled down for the night and 
there was a dog barking somewhere and you know you'd hear a car on the road and there was a motorbike going out for a last minute blat around the cotter loop and just the serenity of it just being out there with the horses and leaning on using one of them as a with my arms crossed on their rump and just being in the moment again just relaxing letting the tension go it just like I said, it got me through. It helped me a lot. Otherwise, I th I would probably have turned to alcohol and drowned my sorrows. And I am what my daughter calls a Cadbury, so a glass and a half and I'm sound asleep. Mm. But just going out and doing the horses, even after a bad day at work, I'm happy to jump in the car at the moment and drive out to Yass where my horses are and just feed them and potter around and just sit there near the dam and watch out for tortoises and watch the horses walking back down the paddock after they feed, finish their feeds and watching the sun go down and just absorbing the peace. I think I'm a, somewhat of a loner by preference but I also grew up in the country on farms so that sort of thing is, I find peaceful. Even as a kid, I'd disappear often over the horizon as farm kids are want to do. Come back for lunch. Don't go near the dam. So those sorts of things were just, just what I like. So, okay, um, I, I have sort of two thoughts in my head, but maybe the first one that I'll kind of first thing that I'll ask about was so Mosel's a great support to you when you were going through that very mm. stressful year did you have close friends or other family who you could turn to uh, and talk to not really like I said I'm a bit of a loner mm. had a couple of friends who I unloaded on but one friend had moved to Melbourne another one had moved somewhere else and I'm not a great friend maker, so maybe my horses fill that niche a bit as well. Just go out and potter around with them. I'd chat with people out at the paddocks and what have you, and but not good at sharing emotions, which probably gets me into trouble at times. Yeah, so then I'm, I'm curious then, what do you think that horses, what kind of role do you think that horses play? What do they do for you that people can't? I don't know. Um, like what's different about horses? They do, well, they do answer back. They accept you for what you are. Horses don't care. They don't care if they're a million dollar horse or a hundred dollar pony that you bought at the Echuca sales. Um, they have few wants in life. They don't. They accept you as you are. Um, just. If you treat them nice, they'll treat you nice and they'll like you and... I don't know. I've always liked animals more than people. <laughs> I've always had pets growing up and was always, you know, country kid. It was a... Either you arranged with your mother to drive over to the neighbours, which was a, you know, five miles away, or you rode your bicycle, which I hated, or you played by yourself and amused yourself, so... I think it's sort of following on from that. The older I get, the more I, 
the more I like my horses, the more I like animals than people. And if I had a really rough shift at work, and I had a couple of those on night shift, I had a crazy, a couple of crazies. Um, it just, sense of normalities. Um, not really good at dissecting feelings. That's Doug's, Doug's speciality, just dissecting things down to nanoparticle level, whereas I don't like to dig that deep which is probably another reason why we separated. So some people just buy them and potter around with them. Some have ambition, want to get to the top. Some of us are just happy to have a spot to retreat to that's peaceful and quiet and a number of other silly people, they're doing exactly the same thing. It's very, very communal because you're all there for the same reason you all talk the same language. Nobody's going to go, oh, God, they're talking horses again and look bored. Doug used to sit in the corner of the living room and pick up his magazine and a friend and I started talking horses. And When we'd finished, he'd put his magazine down and join the conversation again. Mm. But going out to the paddocks, you meet a friend, you can arrange to meet a friend, go for a trial ride, go and do this, go and do that. It's... It's a whole little community like other you know, other things like bicycle riders and you know you see them all herring along the edge of the roads nose down bum up mm. pedaling like crazy all having a wonderful time mm. horse riders are all the same <laughs> no worse in our addictions than anybody else I think it's just a bit more expensive yes you have talked about your passion as being an addiction lifestyle uh, can you explain what you meant meant by that a horse you can't park in the back of the shed and leave it there for six months until you feel like riding it again. You have to check it every day or two. You have to make sure the fences are up, there's water, they're healthy, they haven't... They're like kids. If there's a way to do something that they shouldn't be able to do, they'll do it. They'll pull their shoes off, they'll get cuts, kicks, they'll break fences. So you can't ignore them. You bought that horse, you bought it into your place. It didn't ask to come. You have to make the commitment to look after it, to meet its physical needs, its mental needs. It's got mates. Is it all by itself? Is it healthy? Can you afford to buy enough hay when it's a drought? It's uh, financial, social, um, ethical whatever commitment to a living feeling being that you took from the pack bought from one place and bought to another place to make sure that it continues to live a happy life mm. it's a commitment you and a lifestyle because you go you want to go to an event you want to go to pony club, you want to go to jump club, you want to go to working equitation club. Um, you have to have the horse float to get there, you have to have the saddlery to ride, you have to have an area to ride, you have to have the time to put in um, the, the number of hours put in to win a 50 cent ribbon. A 
piece of satin with some some letters printed on it and the hundreds of hours of work, effort, etc., that have gone into it just to get there. Mm. And the times that horses get sick the day before the big event and you know, a hundred, hundreds, thousands of hours of work wiped out in one foul swoop back to square one. Off to the vets, off to this, off to that. So, yes, you can take your bicycle down to the garage, to the mechanic, and get the tyre changed or new, get this adjusted or that adjusted, or do it yourself at home. But you can ignore it; it's not going to perish or suffer in in the back corner of your garage until you feel like dragging it out again. But not you can't do that with a horse. No, mm. you have to. It's a lifestyle because you are going to have a car full of horse gear you're going to have horse feed scattered throughout your car you're going to have random bits of horse equipment scattered throughout your car there used to be a joke going around that uh, you can tell a horse person because whips and spurs on the back seat strikes you as normal (laughs) and you just you have to have a car big enough to tow a float if you're going to go anywhere. So you might need a new car. You might need this, that or the other. Or if you're like me and did it on a shoestring, you beg, st- beg friends for rides, for lifts in floats. Um, but you had to be pr- factor into your day every day going down to check the horse, be it 6am in the morning before you went to work or after work, in the dark, in the rain, in the snow, in the stinking heat in the middle of the day, when you don't want to do anything except sit home in front of the fan. Right, this is the only time I go and do the horse. Mm. So it becomes a lifestyle because there's several hundred people on the same property doing exactly the same thing. And it becomes a communal thing, a community. And Oh, I'm going away for the weekend. Can you do my horse? Yes, I can do that. And then you'll swap back. Lots of people do it. Some people do it with all the money in the world and have a top-class horse float and a top-class vehicle to tow it and all the latest gear and all the bits and pieces and the fan, three, three different saddles and me who's got one. That's it gets polished to go to a show and then you get the ones like me who have horses that live in paddocks not in stables they don't have the chiropractor they don't have they do have the dentist and they do have the farrier to do their feet but they don't get a massage once a week and they don't have the chiropractor regularly and some horses some horses get very pampered. The, the riders tend not to be so pampered. The horse will have the expensive shampoo and the rider will have the uh, $2 from the reject shop stuff. Other people, oh yes, I'll just get the vet to give the drench. No, I can't afford to get the vet to do the drench. And if the vet comes to see your horse, he's as likely as not to hand you a bottle of antibiotics, a handful of syringes and needles and give you instructions on how to give it. Well, good thing you're qualified to do that. Uh, I was sticking needles in things long before I became a nurse. (laughs) Most horse riders are quite proficient at giving injections. Sue now has three horses, Moz, Arrow and Arrow's mum, Pepper. 
three is a bad number to have because one because Moz is a stallion I don't want to put arrow in with him and mm. because Moz is elderly and pretty laid back if his bossy son started pushing him around he'd just roll over yeah whatever mm. and he's got arthritis in his legs and some in his hips so he's not as mobile as he used to be and I don't want his son taking chunks out of him so at the moment the mayor is living with the stallion and the gelding is living by himself and he's miffed because his mother was living with him before and he had someone to boss around and someone to swap flies off his face and someone to stand in the shelter with and keep him company and make sure that the world wasn't going to come in and eat him. And if the monster did turn up, something else was going to get eaten before he did. So they need a friend. So he just has to chat over the fence at the moment. But the three of them are out at Yas, at your yeah. property? Yes. Yeah. They're all out in the paddocks again after being locked up for most of the summer because the grass was just too green, too much. So it was Jenny Craig all the way. It's a case of if you eat too much, you're going to get sick. So we have to restrict your intake. Mm -hmm. And they just were not impressed. I wasn't impressed at having to buy hay when I had grass over the fences, but it was just too rich. Sue is in the early stages of building a house out at her patch of land in Yass. There have been delays of various forms, so it's a couple of years behind schedule. But the plans are now almost complete. How do you think you'll feel in, you know, being able to live out there with your horses just on your doorstep? It will be sort of a culmination of a dream. I've always wanted to move back to the country being a farm girl. And Douglas was ex-husband was never no no we're fine all good you've got your horses they're out there you can go and do that he never quite understood why I wanted to buy a horse either why don't you just keep going to the riding school mm. so it will be even though I'll have to trek into work it's different driving out there and then staying there overnight or during the day or whatever instead of driving out, doing stuff, an hour or two or three later, turning around and driving back to town. Coming to work, it'll be drive to work, go to work, drive home, do things at home, in my own nice kitchen, looking out my windows at what my ponies are doing and are there, you know, is there a blue heron up on the dam and I can go up and have a look and walk around and my house will be facing north so I'll get all the sun rather than here where the <laughs> it's, we face due east so I get all the summer sun and none of the winter sun so it's you know it's nice here sitting because the gum trees out there and the gang gangs come and eat the eat the nuts and the cockies and the lorikeets and galahs and all that and there's lots of birds around but it's just not the same as sitting out there quietly and just sitting out the front with a glass of white wine in the breeze in the evening just watching my little world. 
So you shared with me uh, something on Facebook about um, old women and their horses and turquoise. Ah, yes, taking... I'm going to be an old woman and all my jewels will be kept in my barn and I'll take you... I'll wear turquoise... Silver and turquoise and take you down to see the jewels in my box as they're standing in the hay, in there quietly munching hay in their stables. And that's me, <laughs> I hope. I won't have stables, but I'll still have horses and still have them down there. And So you intend to see out your days at Yas? Yes. I'm designing it so that it's all single level, no steps. It's, I've worked in aged care and I've worked in hospitals and I know things that you can do to make it so that I can do my aging in place and be more aging friendly and if, if the old bones permit and climb, both sets of old bones permit, we'll climb on and go for a toddle round. If not, I'll just pat noses and clean stables and pot around and do all the things related to horsekeeping. I've always wanted to move back out to the country since since I moved to Cam into Canberra when I was 18. That's a long time ago. But I've always wanted to go back out and now I'm getting close to doing it. I'm getting there. After hearing so much about Sue's horses, I couldn't not meet them. So the next time I saw Sue, it was out at her Yas property. When I arrived, she was riding Arrow, her youngest, in a makeshift arena. A generator at a neighbouring property was making an awful racket. So how long do you normally ride around in here for? moment because we're both grossly unfit probably about 20 minutes okay some people will do you know normally 40 45 minutes but because we're both so unfit and this is the third time I've ridden in three days I stole my granddaughter's pony on Monday and it was a case of where's the Panadol last night because everything's going, we haven't done this for a while. <laughs> Good boy. Yes, yes. Gymnastics for both of us, me. Out on Sue's property, the only structures are two shelters for her horses. They looked a bit like my carport at home, but enclosed. There's also a shipping container, which she's parked her ute beside. Out here, it's all open sky, long grass, and plenty of sunshine. And three lovely horses. Don't go to the barn. She has no pets. I know you're looking for monsters. You want to have a spin, don't you? So you said that other riders don't normally talk this much to their horses? Yes, we have a non-stop conversation. We <laughs> always have. Yeah. Same with Moz. <laughs> Do we call that enough before your brain departs the building? 
end on a good note. Yes. Good boy. After a while longer, Sue dismounted and came over to me with Arrow. I gave him some pats and he took an interest in my furry microphone windshield. Hello there. Watch out for your microphone. <laughs> it's about to get a horse snort all over it. Aww. Back. Back. Come on, monster. Come on. We're both all sweaty now. No, you do not need more calories. So what are the um, marks that he has on him? Like, for instance, the 19 there on, on the right, on his front leg? That means he was the first foal under my brand, born in the stud year of 2009, which runs from August, the 1st of August. Okay. So he was actually born in 2010, so, but he's still stud drop. Stud year of 2009. Because it doesn't finish until the 31st of July. More of a thoroughbred type thing than a other breeds type thing. Because they race thoroughbreds so young, they want them born as close to the 1st of August as possible. Whereas the rest of the rest of us will leave them till the three or four. Oh, good boy. Very good. Took me a long time to teach him to drop the bit politely instead of just throw his head round and chuck it in my face. <laughs> that sound of Velcro you just heard, by the way, was Sue taking Ari's fly veil off, the mask that was covering his eyes to keep the flies out. See, there is a horse under there. Yes, yes. A very beautiful horse. Aren't you beautiful? Yes, you are. You put your fly veil back on. <laughs> They just love his eyes. Mm, yeah. Don't mind, don't bother Moz, but Pepper and he both have mm. eyes are beloved by flies. Good boy. There you are. Oh, we might have to go and get a bucket of water. And a sweat scraper. Until you is sweaty. Stu leads Arrow out of the arena and takes him to his water trough. There's a trough on each half of her property, just as there's a horse shelter on each half. She explains this to me as she begins giving him a clean. So, they call it equicentric horse keeping. Hmm. So you try and mimic behaviours from the wild, where the horses have to walk to one spot to get a drink every day mm -hmm. and for shelter they don't have it in every paddock mm. so I have laneways set up around the edge and this laneway runs up to those gates yeah up there is he shivering kind of from that water no he's twitching the flies off oh okay Horses are in, have incredibly sensitive skin. This area here where my leg was sitting. Yeah. I think they said works something like six times the number of nerve endings, nerve endings as a human in yeah. that spot. So, so what is it that you're doing? You seem to be like sort of sponging water on him and then like scraping it off. Move your bum. 
Just getting rid of the sweat. Ah. If you're going to be wet, you might as well be wet and clean as wet and sweaty. Yeah. So, we didn't get any there. We didn't get any there today, did we? We didn't use enough backside. Cleaning all done, Sue does something that I've never seen before. She puts her nose basically into Arrow's nostril. She calls this breathies. Okay, you ready? Hmm? Yes, you are smooch, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, no breathies today? Hmm? Breathies? You breathe in their nostrils, they'll often breathe back at you. So you're putting your nose into Arrow's Near his nostrils. nostrils. Okay. They'll sometimes come up and offer it to you. Mm. And so what, what a, happens there? It's a horse thing they do to each other. Okay. So they, I don't know what it means. Mm. Maybe they, they accept me mm. or just they feel like having you in snot. <laughs> it's a very intimate moment and I almost feel awkward being there. But more than that, I'm incredibly humbled that Sue is letting me witness it. You smooch. Well, you're a 600 plus kilo teddy bear like your daddy. Drink his time. Mm. Oh no, I know what you want. What does he want? His tail scratched. Because <laughs> he adores having his tail scratched. Don't you? Is that right? The right spot? Oh, you want me to scratch there? See, they have a swell train. <laughs> there you go. You're a big lump. <laughs> yes, you are. Drinkies, breathies, cleaning and some scratching done. Sue goes about getting some chaff for Arrow and Pepper and some feed for Moz. Now we're inside her shipping container. So you're reaching to a bin there. There's a bag of horse food in there. Okay. A bag of char fits this one. So it's a physical, mm. a physical pastime, even if you're not riding. Yeah. So lugging one of these from the back of the ute into here, that's a 25 kilo bag. Mm. Yes. And then getting it into the barrel. Yeah. One for the other fatty. And you can't feed one without feeding the other or they get their noses out of joint. Yes. This is all my Rugs, muzzles, halters, mm. winter rugs, summer rugs, all the bits and pieces I need from my whippersnipper and my mower. And mm. It looks pretty tidy actually. Oh, not really. <laughs> I mean, it's cluttered, but it looks tidy. Come on. Hi, hi. Mm-hmm, mine too. He has good manners. Took mm. a long time to teach them, but when they're that big, you do not want them all over the top of you. Yeah. And where will your house be? 
just this flat bit just up here. Okay. Facing north. Mm. Solar passive. With arrow fed, we head to Moz and Pepper's shelter. Come on, mother man. Quick. Watch out, he's coming out to that feeder. Hello, Moz. How are you? She's got food. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Important things first. <laughs> Thank you. Good boy. Back. You know it's not going in there until you step back. You can see he's got a little bit of rib showing. And coming into winter, he needs a little more padding. Mm, he looks very dusty too. Yes, he's had a lovely roll in a big dust hole. <laughs> So patting him is the equivalent of patting a powder puff, mm. except for dirt. This is the fellow who had a lot of tears cried into his mane, who let me do cuddles when mm. I needed a cuddle and a cry. Yeah. Oh, He's really just a big teddy bear in disguise. <laughs> aren't you, Mozzie Man? Mm. They're all big teddy bears though, aren't they? No. No? Some, some are not people persons, people ponies. I mean, all of yours. Oh, all of mine, yes. Yeah. Some horses are just plain nasty. Mm. They're, like there's not nice people, there's not nice horses. Mm. Pepper Pot! Come on! Yes, I did say food. You who are up to your knees in food. <laughs> Come on. Oh, shake your shank. I oh, know, it's an effort. Yes, it is. Hey, Pepper. You miss Pepper Pot? Often. It's a very pretty girl. Oh, hello there. Let's have a look at your eyes. Don't bugger off. As soon as I take it off, the flies are in. <laughs> yeah, they're bothering me too. It's that time of day. Mm. Yes. You are a sweetie. Bit of sense to stop. Unlike Moz. Yeah. Staying clean around horses is <laughs> difficult. They're covered in dust, hair. They will snort all over you. <laughs> that popped up on Facebook this morning about people think horse owners are prissy and and snobbying. Said we we usually covered in sweat, horse hair, dust, mud. We've got terrible hair because it's been squashed up under a helmet. Yeah. And we ride something that farts at the drop of a hat. <laughs> Are you after Mozzie Man? Hopefully when you're not standing right behind him. Oh yes, that's the favourite <laughs> time. I follow Sue around the perimeter of what's going to be her house, but is currently a field of grass ringed with fledgling trees. We go from tree to tree with her garden hose, and Sue tells me what each of them are and when she planted them. I imagine that by the time they're waist high, her house will be built and Sue will be tending to them as a resident instead of as a visitor. 
Bye, Muzzy Man. Bye, Muzz. I see you Friday when the farrier comes. And bye, Peppa. Somewhere okay. I can see a bike bam bob down the end of the laneway there. <laughs> bye, Thanks Muzz. for coming out, Ivana. No worries. Thanks for having me. The sun is setting as I drive away, almost an hour back to Canberra. And I think about how Sue makes this trip every two days, out of love and obligation. But one day, home will be where her horses are. You've been listening to Love, Canberra. The show is written and produced by me, Ivana Ho. The theme music is by Proletor. Thanks for bearing with my long absence. You will be hearing from me again soon. As ever, do get in touch at lovecanberrapodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.